Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Takes the snap, looks left under pressure. Oh, it's one over the middle. And he's got Crowder at the 10. Cuts it back at the 5. Goal line. Sam Darnold did it again. Jones, pressure takes it away. Bradley McDougal. And he is in for a catch. Touchdown. Pass over the middle in the air. Picked off. Brian Poole to the end zone. Touchdown. There goes Darnold. And Bell. He's doing it all for the Jets. And welcome back to another episode of the Cool Your Jets podcast. We're your host, Ben Blessington and Michael Ania. Back doing another preview podcast, but, you know, these games really don't matter until Adam Gaze is out of here. At least that's the uh, attitude that Michael and I have currently. Hopefully, one week from when you're listening to it, which will be Friday, the Jets will be relieving Adam Gaze of his duties. That might be the first time that the Jets can part with head coach Adam Gaze. Second time will probably be the bye week, week 11, but he could be here the entire season, which is nightmare fuel for us but we'll see maybe he could turn this season around but most likely uh could be in for a long one but we're doing the preview pod uh regardless we have plenty of stuff to talk about um so with that michael how you doing man well i think like you said this is all about getting adam gase out of here right now so i think it's disappointing that we're in the third game and we're already not focused on how the jets are going to pull out a win key matchups to um you know, be able to come out with a victory and stay in the playoff race. And instead we're focusing on, I mean, me and you before this were watching draft highlight videos of random running backs. So, I mean, that's already the state that we're in, <laughs> but yeah, this is about Adam Gase. He's just become more than a coach that isn't winning and just a complete detriment to this franchise. And most importantly, the quarterback uh, that we're hoping can be the future of this team. So getting him out of there, as soon as possible is very important. So I don't root for the Jets to lose, but it's hard not to see the most ideal scenario being getting two wins, uh, two losses in four days, coming out with a home loss on prime time to a Broncos team that's very depleted, led by Jeff, uh, Jeff Driscoll, and hopefully getting Gase out of there at that point. If that's not enough, you got to think it probably won't happen this season. But at this point, it's hard not to root for that and again I'm not gonna sit there watching the Jets game hoping everyone plays poorly but getting Gase out it's just it would be a massive positive for the Jets to get something out of the season especially with evaluating Sam Darnold yeah it's gotten so bad that approximately four people attended the fire Adam Gase protest (laughs) outside of Florham Park yesterday I think that's twice Um, as many as we're actually there (laughs) (laughs) no I mean there there was a second wave of two other people that came so Second wave. Um, yeah, we'll see if we'll see if that grows at all uh, throughout the season. But like you said, I mean, look, I, you know, it's still early in the season. They are only zero and two. Uh, I'm, I don't even want to say the optimist in me because I don't really feel this way. But you know, they win a game or two, then they're back to five hundred. Then maybe you start cheering or, or start getting that hope up a little bit more. Um, but just based off the first two weeks, I mean, this this unit has been. Oh, look, here's what the optimist lifeless. should say: Just get these losses. Your own four. Jim Bob Cooter comes in. And there's that seventh wild card. It could only be eight wins that you need to get in there. Eight and four is doable with JBC, I think. Well, I mean, I don't know about that last part, but I definitely agree that the best case scenario for the Jets is that Adam Gase is gone and that Sam Darnold plays well. Um, So we may need to sacrifice these next two games to get to a point where Adam Gase is out of here. Jim Bob Cooter, as you said, who's the current, I think he's the running backs coach, can take over as the play caller. Hopefully opens things up a little bit for Darnold. They would get Mims, Perriman, Bell, uh, Vincent Smith back. 
and then hopefully they could go on a bit of a, a run. Maybe not even yeah, wins and losses. And, and just... I don't think playoffs is really – like you were probably just about to say, I think. Exactly, but, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't think wins and losses, playoffs really matter. It's really ridiculous to talk about that with a team that has not scored a touchdown in the first half yet. But it's just mo- most importantly about evaluating Sam Darnold and just this entire roster – finding out who your pieces are going forward. And the way Gase is coaching this team, it's hard to do that with just his decision-making as a play caller is so ridiculous and off base. It makes no sense. And it's hard to figure out what you have. So uh, right. getting him out is pretty important, I think. Yeah, I mean, currently they're averaging 15 points a game through through two games. And as you and said – half of those points are on the last drive. <laughs> exactly. Time. Exactly. I mean, they've been down 21-3 to three in, in back-to-back games. Um but, I mean, let's go back a little bit to San Francisco before we look towards Indianapolis. And now you've had a chance. Both you and I have, have watched the All-22. I know everybody thinks they're, you know, they can break down film these days. But I feel like, you know, here at Jets X Factor, I feel like, Michael, uh, you do a, a good job of, of seeing things you like and putting them on your Twitter and finding out some, some different things. And honestly, I mean, defensively, there were some – some bright spots when it came to Quentin Williams. When you do see the all 22, you see things like that Quentin Williams, I think it was his second sack should have been a wide open touchdown for San Francisco because they had a receiver just break down the field completely wide open. Um, so you see things like that. Uh, Michael, after watching the all 22, what were some of the things that jumped out to you? Some positives and some negatives. Well, Quentin Williams, like you said, this was the best game of his career. And it, even though he got the statistical credit for it, two sacks and they're the first legitimate sacks he's had because last year he had two unblocked sacks, uh, a half sack. That was a cleanup sack. So had the two sacks, three tackles for loss against the run five. So that's five stops in the backfield, only player to do that in a game this season. So he got the credit, but the key thing is he's not going to get two sacks every week or three tackles for loss because nobody does that. But as long as he's creating pressure consistently, and hopefully he does finish with your eight to 10 sacks that your star defensive tackles get. Uh, The key thing is just consistently creating pressure, causing problems. Uh, There was a play where he had a really good rep, drew a double team from the center, and that created space for John Franklin Myers to get a hit. Stuff like that that doesn't show up is really important too. And he had that in this game. So he was dominant. They need that consistently. Uh, if they want to win games, but also just long-term, if he's going to be worth that third pick, uh, that's what it looks like. Uh, that's what the Jets hoped they'd be getting, exactly what he did. And speaking of Franklin Myers, he was probably the second biggest plus on defense. His Jets debut, three quarterback hits, uh, and they were really good ones. He had a couple of good uh, club club rip moves. He you know, was against the left guard for San Francisco, who I think is Tomlinson. or No, it was a right guard. He had a couple of hits against their right guard. One against the right tackle, McGlinchey, but he had a few really good club rip moves against San Francisco. And uh, he, he was really active as a pass rusher. And I was excited to see him, you and I both, I think, uh, especially after that first game, they got no pass rush whatsoever. They activated him. He played well. Uh, and he looks like a pretty promising piece for them. Uh, Jordan Jenkins played pretty, de- pretty good. He had a sack uh, that wasn't a legitimate sack, but it was a good uh, disciplined play. He was active against the run. Made a good play underneath in the passing game, so he was solid. But uh, defensively, the biggest thing is Quinton Williams, I think. Uh, then offensive, offensively, is definitely Mekhi Becton, who's been their best player on either side of the ball so far through two games. He, he just looks refined and ready. He, we know what he has physically, and he looks like his technique is good. His balance, he's balanced. His feet are really smooth and quick. He's, you know, he's accurately landing his punches. He's not overreaching. He just looks really pro-ready. He's brought everything to the table that we hoped he would at some point, but here in his second game, I think he's definitely come into his own a lot quicker than we hoped. And there's still more growing for him to do. He can be the best left tackle in the league with those tools, and he's not there yet, but he's playing at a really high level right now in both phases. So that's been extremely good, uh, positive for them. Yeah, and I think when you look at this game, the San Francisco game, and look, we talk about it. I think it is a little bit depressing to think about wanting the Jets to lose. And I, and I agree. I don't think I'm going to cheer for on Sunday for the Jets to lose. I'm going to watch it like any other Jets game and cheer for them to win because either they're going to get a win, hopefully it's a, a fun win, not just some sloppy um, win, but hopefully they either they get a win and I could be excited about that or they get a loss and it's another week closer to the being fired. And I think this San Francisco game is a pretty good map of 
of a good performance and a loss for this Jets team. I think Darnold had his moments. Quinnen played really well. Makai Becton had um, another great game. And when you think about Makai Becton, you, I was watching his uh, – I think he just had a press conference this week, and I was watching him, and he looks in fantastic shape. And I know that's what people have been saying since August, but that was one of his biggest concerns coming out as he was – uh, just because he's so large, there were concerns about managing his weight. And when you look at him in those press conferences where he doesn't have pads on or whatever, I mean, he clearly devoted himself to not only learning the playbook, but putting himself in fantastic shape. And I think it's clearly showing, like you said, it's it's a little depressing, but also exciting that our, our first-round rookie is our best player on either side of the ball. Um, clearly a good start for Joe Douglas's draft class. But as I was saying, I mean, even if the Jets get blown out in these next two games um, – which I don't think they will. I think they actually do have a, a fairly good shot to win on Thursday. But after me and you both predicted wins against the Niners, I think I'm going to cool it on the winning predictions. Um, 26-21. <laughs> close enough. You know, I guarantee that now the Jets are going to, are going to beat the Colts 26-21. Um, but, you know, I think uh, that's the way that the best-case scenario objectively can be is that they have a few guys who, who flash, like John Franklin Myers coming out of uh, virtually nowhere, even though me and you have been banging the table for him to play. Um, just and you know still look embarrassing but going back to the san francisco game plan you know i i do think in the first half that I, people are criticizing gase and he obviously deserves it but people are criticizing gase for the underneath game plan the conservative move the ball in the first half i actually don't hate it you know i think they did move the ball well they did keep themselves in third and manageable as we said on on monday it was pretty much the first time in gase's career where or jets career where i've really seen them run the ball effectively and, and keep themselves in those uh, second and third and manageable. So I thought they did a good job in that sense. They didn't get the fourth down. They had to settle for three and then they had to, to punt after a Chris Hogan drop and the Gore missed a wide open hole in the next play. So in the first half, you know, it was a conservative game plan, but theoretically that's the right way to play a team that's much better than you. I think a lot of concerns come from the second half, especially, and this happened in the first half, but even more so after having a halftime to adjust things. When Nick Bosa and Solomon Thomas go down, and their corners are already banged up. I mean, that's when you probably want to open things up a lot more, especially when you're down 21 to three. And I think that's the big criticism is he really didn't move off of his game plan, which, which is something we've been saying since last year. And anybody who's followed Gase from his time in Miami, uh, since they, they've been saying that since 2016 for him, is that he comes in with a good game plan a lot of the times, but teams adjust. It's an adjustment league. You have to be able to counterpunch in this league. And teams make their adjustments. Uh, and he just fails to do it. When you look at the best teams in the league, like New England, they will have games where they get down early. I mean, they might be down 14 nothing in a game, but you can never count New England out because they're the best team in the league, or at least under Brady and Belichick, they were the best team in the league at making those adjustments uh, at halftime or, or in between quarters, in between drives, changing what they were doing, attacking what the other team was doing, and then they would have these roaring comebacks and win the game. For the Jets, especially under Adam Gase, if they're down, they're not winning that game. I mean, we, I don't think we've seen a single comeback. I, I don't have any stats to back that up, but I don't think we've seen a single comeback under Adam Gase because he clearly, a meaningful comeback, I guess I should say, cannot adjust. And that's just probably one of the, if not the biggest key to being a, success, a successful coach in this league is adjusting. And again, we saw it in San Francisco. I thought he came out with a solid game plan. I thought it clearly worked in the first half, despite the fact that they only had three points. The defense played terrible. They you know, caught a, a bad break in that first half on some of those drives, but they move the ball. The criticisms come from the second half and then the, the lack of game management. Yeah, you're a hundred percent right. And the first half wasn't that bad. They only got three drives in the first half. It was a really slower paced game. San Francisco held the ball a long time. They had an almost nine minute drive. The Jets had a couple of long drives. So they only got the ball three times and they went six plays, 13 plays and 11 plays on those three drives. So not that bad, but it's just the adjusting, like you said, that it, and we've been talking, it was one of the concerns when they first hired him. It was the concern after last season, and it still is now. He's not adjusting his lack of adjustments. It's, you know, <laughs> the biggest issue uh, really with him the entire time. If, you know, everyone has a game plan, but you got to adjust to things that happen once the game starts. The, their elite pass rusher goes down. They already don't have their elite cornerback, and another starting pass rusher goes down you don't have to be as conservative as you thought you did. And also they're running the ball really well in first down, which is exactly what you need to set up play action shots. And he called one second down play action pass in this game. One, the entire right. game. And Robbie Sabo brought up on Twitter that 21 times the Jets ran 
against a single uh, single high safety press look. 21 times against single high press. I know the Jets are depleted at receiver, but it, they're NFL receivers. Like, you can take your shots. I mean, in, and Braxton Berrios was creating some separation in this game. Chris Herndon was open a few times, uh, and Darnold missed him. Obviously, he dropped a touchdown on that scramble, but there were times he was open. Um, and Hogan had five first down catches in this game. Yeah, it's a, not the best receiving group in the league, and it's probably the worst, but they can get open, especially against a team that is down, you know, three of its three starters, including its best corner and pass rusher. So no adjustments whatsoever, not taking advantage of a run game that was averaging almost five yards a carry on first down uh, and calling no play action, consistently calling these screens, even though they're not executing the screens well at all. There's one screen in the second half where Hogan and Barrios didn't even seem to know it was a screen. So just a complete he has no idea what he's doing. He doesn't, I'm not going to say he does, has no idea what he's doing, but he just doesn't adjust to what, and this is, we talked about these exact things in the off season, not adjusting to what his team does well and doesn't do well. Just he has a game plan and that's what he's going to do. He doesn't care what changes in the game, what his team is good at and not good at. He's just going to do what he wants. Yeah. I mean, I think Adam Gase calls an NFL game like a bad Madden player in the sense that he runs a play and it works. This is, I mean, obviously facetious and a bit of an exaggeration, but in Madden, if you play a bad player and they call a play that works and they get a touchdown or whatever, now they just keep trying to run the same play, but a good player will adjust. And that's like Adam Gase. He might have a good drive where he used, you know, his game plan where he's attacking underneath, he's running certain concepts and it works, but the best teams go and adjust and he just cannot, he fails to be able to look at that and change up what he's doing. I mean, the fact that... And he even tells you that much in the press conferences. I mean, that what was that quote? I think he just said, we just execute you know, if we better. execute the plays that are called, we'll he's be been fine. Saying that, he's been saying that since he was hired. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. And in the fact that he all of the routes are going are short and outside. I mean, look at the success that Josh Allen and the Bills, and Michael, you were talking to me about this before the podcast, but if you look at the success that Brian Dable has had with Buffalo, a ton of crossing routes, a lot of stuff over the middle. They make things easy on Josh Allen. And you saw in the Cowboys game last year, all the success that Sam Darnold had uh, on crossing routes la- uh, last year. Um, but where were they against San Francisco? I mean, I, I cannot recall a single pass that went over the – I mean, they had a few passes that went over the middle, but the 90% of their passes In were short the, the hashes, I don't think they had any completions. I know he had the one throw to Hogan that he dropped. There was the one play-action pass they did call, I think was also either Hogan or Malone, but that one was close to the middle. But right in the middle of the field, stuff over the middle, there was none of it. Slants and over routes, crossing routes, it's, it's I don't am- think one. It's amazing to me that he's – knows he's coaching for his life. I mean, despite the fact that the owner says he's a brilliant mind, I mean, he has to know that this is it for him. And it's amazing to me that he looks at this uber-talented quarterback that he has in Sam Darnold, who you know plays infinitely better on the run. I mean, it's pretty much undeniable that for some reason, whether it's the fact that he's just not thinking, that his mechanics are better, I don't know what it is, but when Sam Darnold is moving, he's a hell of a lot more accurate. He's a lot more decisive. He's a better quarterback. And the fact that there was one designed rollout to to Herndon for five yards and that was it, and they didn't run any other rollouts, all this stuff is going, as we just talked about, going to the sidelines. There's nothing over the middle to make it easier for a guy than Darnold who has all the physical tools and obviously is a great leader, but has struggled a little bit in reading defenses, make things easier for him. Simplify it for him. He's not Peyton Manning. He doesn't have to be. You can be a good quarterback in this league and not be Peyton Manning. Look at Ryan Tannehill. Look what Arthur Smith has done for Ryan Tannehill in Tennessee. He's simplified things, and Ryan Tannehill's thrown for four touchdowns. I mean, make things simpler for Darnold. Do what he does well. Play to his strengths and adjust. I mean, you're right. I mean, it's the two adjusting. Adjusting to what your team does. I guess that's more conforming. Conforming to what your team does and adjusting in-game to when defenses make adjustments. And look, I mean, Gase would probably look at us and say, you don't know what you're talking about. I am making blah, 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 whatever. But as somebody who, I mean, 95% of Jets fans can sit in front of a TV and watch and say, they're doing the exact same thing they were doing in the first drive. It's clearly not working. You have three points and you're done 28. Why are you run, run, and then pass outside the sticks, you know, short of the first down marker. I mean, it's, it's infuriating. It's Kotite levels of bad. Michael and I weren't even alive when Rich Kotite was coaching the Jets. Um, but I would argue this might be worse. I mean, after talking to my dad and other Jets fans who, who were around during Kotite, I mean, it's terrible. And the thing is, is that Jets fans knew Adam Gase was going to be a bad hire. Everybody was against it. When Ian Rappaport released that tweet that the Jets are hiring Adam Gase, 
I mean, my heart sank. My dad became nervous, was so upset when I told him. He was like, no, how the hell did they hire this guy who completely ruined Miami? The one saving grace is he brought in Joe Douglas, I guess, that he doesn't control the roster. But from a coaching perspective, he should have taken a year off. He should have examined himself, and then he should have gone back and been an offensive coordinator. But the fact that the Jets, that he duped Chris Johnson into hiring him because you know, he's Peyton Manning's buddy. And Peyton Manning, by the way, changed like literally every single play at the line. And he's talking about how the plays that he calls work and they just got to execute it. It's just infuriating that when you look at the Jets and the Cardinals or the Jets and the Bills and all these teams that were seemingly around the same area in terms of a rebuild, you know, you go back to 2018 or even 2019, when you look at where those teams were, they were pretty even. I would argue that the Jets might've been ahead of Buffalo on the offensive side of the ball. Certainly were ahead of Arizona, but look where those teams are now. Those, both, both those teams are going to make playoff runs this year. And the Jets might be picking number one. And it's just – it's infuriating. I mean, it, it's it, – that Adam Gase is still on this team. And, no, he, he should not last another week. He should be fired after the Broncos game if they, if they fall to 0-4. And he, he really should have been fired after the last game. But we know it's – you know, how the league works. You can't uh, – they can't actually see what's going on because, you know, they're in the same building. You hired this guy. You got to stick by it. Even though, like you said, we all knew – from the very beginning, there wasn't really a light at the end of the tunnel here. And, and I did look at some positives in the beginning. I was pushing the Gase positivity. Uh, I, I, but, I supported it. I, I mean, gave Gase passes for, for his quarterback having mono, terrible O-line play. Right. I, I was fairly lenient on Gase last year. I was like, okay, let's see what he can do. Like, Darnold has another year under the system. But, no, it's just more the same. It's infuriating. Yeah. And you, you brought up Rich Kotite. I actually do have a stat that kind of connects Gase uh, to that Jets team. The Jets, this is now the second straight season they've started 0-2 and had over 150 penalty yards over those two games. They haven't had not done that since 1995, the 3-13 and year with Cotite. So back-to-back years of something they haven't done in 25 years and since uh, yeah. their worst head coach ever. So, yeah, he's kind of redefining bad, putting himself in some awful company. I think it's fair that – I mean, it, and part of this falls on Joe Douglas, I guess. I know Adam Gase is his friend, but he has to say, look, Christopher, I think after a quarter of the season, if they're 0-4, I think that's enough of a sample size, especially if they get blown out, um, that Joe Douglas needs to say to Chris Johnson that we need to evaluate this kid that we have in Sam Darnold because, first of all, Gase keeps coaching this team. They very well might have the number one pick. I personally don't think they're going to be that bad. I mean, I think they're going to be bad, but I think they'll probably end up picking like fifth or sixth. But – if Gase keeps coaching his team, they very well might pick number one. And can you really evaluate Darnold? I mean, it's, he hasn't really done enough to really say that he's the guy, but he hasn't done enough to say that he's not the guy. He's, you know, shown some great flashes, but has struggled with some of the consistency parts. And it's like, if the Jets have the number one pick, it's, it's kind of hard not to take the once-in-a-generation quarterback prospect, even though if that's kind of unfair to Darnold, and I still think Darnold's going to be a good quarterback in this league, you kind of are – boxed into okay you can't you could potentially trade down and try to build around Darnold but if you're wrong you've really screwed yourself so if the Jets are the number one pick I would say it's probably a 95% chance that that Joe Douglas has taken Trevor Lawrence so Joe Douglas needs to go to Chris Johnson and say look unless he absolutely loves Trevor Lawrence and doesn't love Sam Darnold he should say look we need to fire Gase we need to give at least it's not completely fair to Darnold because he still won't have a great roster but he'll get 12 games with a different play caller it'll still be the same playbook Jim Bob Cooter would theoretically work in more of his plays as the season went on, but at least it's just a different play caller, a different game planner. Just show us Darnold under somebody else. So maybe we can get a better evaluation because if over those 12 games, Darnold doesn't have to go eight and four, like you were saying, but if the Jets go six and six or, you know, five and seven and Darnold has a really good last three quarters of the season, then I think it's fair to say, okay, he is the guy. Let's, I mean, it depends how well Jim Bob Cooter does, but theoretically you'd probably hire a different head coach, probably a different offensive coordinator, unless those two really, really hit it off. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the best case scenario for the Jets is to fire Gase. And look, I, I know we're, we're saying this and watch the Jets come out and blow the doors off the Colts and the Broncos, but I would still say objectively that it, it feels like, um, kind of 2018 with Bowles in the sense that I, we had the similar feeling where we felt that Bowles wasn't a good coach, that the Jets probably weren't going to win anything under him. And we were cheering for Darnold to play well, but the Jets would still be bad. So the Jets could fire Bowles and we're in that situation, but even an even worse situation because he's the offensive guy. He's the guy who controls Darnold. 
Um, Michael, I texted you this, uh, and I've seen this topic on Jets Twitter a little bit. It's a bit unfair because Jeremy Bates was not a good offensive coordinator. Um, but the last four games of 2018, you really did see sizable progressions in Sam Darnold. He looked a lot better. I mean, he went toe-to-toe with Aaron Rodgers, toe-to-toe with Deshaun Watson. Jets got blown up by the Patriots, but he still looked – he had some great throws in that game. Those last four games of 2018 from Jeremy Bates were a lot better. He opened up the playbook a lot more. It was less run-run pass. Um, would the Jets be better off with Todd Bowles and Jeremy Bates than they are with Adam Gase? I'm not saying that, that, that keeping Todd Bowles was the right move. Obviously, the Jets should have fired him. We just talked about he was a bad coach. But just looking about it, when you look at the numbers, and, and you might have them uh, more readily available than I do, but I know that the Jets were not nearly as bad as they were this year and last year under Adam Gase. So is it fair to say that although it would have been a bad move, the Jets would have been better off keeping Todd Bowles and Jeremy Bates than hiring Adam Gase? Well, I, I think getting rid of Bowles, they had to do no Obviously. matter what. Obviously. I, I mean, with, with Bates, I don't want to say – because look, we all – no one complained about getting rid of Jeremy Bates. I don't think one person on this entire planet complained about it. Maybe Jets fan in another universe, another galaxy. No one on this planet complained about that. But – in hindsight, I guess you can look at it um, as, you know, because Darnold came back from that injury, played well the final four games, and then we were hoping he'd maintain that going to the next season, and he didn't. And he had his flashes, but obviously wasn't as consistent as he was over those final four games. So I guess you could look at it and say, you know, that, you know, Bates opened it up a little bit near the end. And the offense was doing well considering, you know, the teams they faced at the end of that season. Uh, three good defenses, Pats, Texans, Bills. Uh, and they were good in the Texans and Bills games. And they had Andre Roberts at receiver, Sharon Peak. That offensive line was awful, probably even exactly. worse than the one that finished last season. And they had some respectable moments. So, again, I'm not going to, you know, hindsight's 2020. No one complained about that when they got rid of him. But would it be better than Gase? I do think so, but I still think it was the right move to get rid of him. They just hired the wrong guy. You know, Gase instead of Cliff Kingsbury. I mean, that was risky. Kingsbury was a risky one. It's paid off for the Cardinals. Well, especially definitely since he risky one, got though. Kyler. Right, and he, and he made his move and got his quarterback. Uh, that was a risky one, but still, Gase was just the, the worst option. And yeah. so I think um, he, Bates would definitely be better than Gase for sure, but would that be the best option? No, I don't think so. I think they just oh. want the wrong guy to replace him. Definitely not. And I think that you can – I don't blame the Johnsons for – bringing him back for this year I blame him a lot more for for hiring him in the first place because I do think it's legitimate to say look we have a young quarterback you can't just keep giving him new offensive coordinators you have to give him some sort of stability because even if this guy isn't the the long-term answer at at offensive coordinator head coach at least you give your quarterback a time to have an offseason where he's not learning yeah, a playbook yeah. where he can... I do agree with that you're right I think you know hiring him is wrong okay that's completely inexcusable terrible decision makes no sense but at after last season you know I mean if, if Sam Darnold's the most important part of your franchise and I think it made sense to bring him back and just try and get that continuity and Darnold did have a good second half to build off of but the, the trigger of the season has to be quick. You know, there's not right, really exactly. – their Jets are not supposed to be competing for the number one pick. They're exactly. not a Super Bowl team, but they're not a team – they're a team that, you know, should be competing for a wild card spot. You know, you don't even expect them to win a playoff game, but they should not be competing for the number one in, pick. In the any other, should be quick. In other, any other situation, Adam Gase probably deserved to be fired after 2019. If that wasn't his first year, and look, they, they rode the whole 6-2 and two finish thing, but let's not forget, they were 1-7, and, and a lot of those wins in the second half were because of Greg Williams' right. defense. Yeah. Um, but because it's like, okay, it's our, this young quarterback, he needs to learn the system, blah, 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 whatever, which I agree with, but you have to make the trigger, as you just said, I mean, you have to pull that trigger really fast this year. If it's not working again, then you have to pull the, the, the cord because you have to save your young quarterback. And the other thing is, is if they fired him, then they would have had to brought in the new coach um, and they would have had the shortened offseason, the whole training camp thing. So it worked out to have some continuity from last year to this year. But I think you have to look at it as, okay, it's not working out. Let's get rid of him and bring in a new play caller. It's still going to be the same playbook for, for Darnold. Largely, I would imagine that, as we just said, more concepts would be worked in. But uh, yeah, I just the state of the Jets right now is is I think people are saying it's worse than it's ever been, and so I don't agree with that. I think maybe the on-field product right now 
might be as bad as it's been, but I'd rather be in this situation than 2014 than 2017 and a lot of other jets teams that we've had, even if the 2017 jets tricked you into having that battle with the Patriots for first place in October or whatever, I'd much rather be in the situation because I do feel like the jets have a franchise quarterback and they do have a lot of nice young pieces. They have a, a much more competent GM, a GM that I'm confident that can build up this team, but pieces like Mekhi Becton and Quinn and Williams give me hope and hopefully other guys like Denzel Mims and well, Michael P Ryan or bless Austin and, or whatever can, can at least establish themselves as, as part of a core going forward. But I would say that to all the Jets fans that it does sound doom and gloom, it, it's not great right now for the Jets, but I do think they can help themselves out by doing one thing. And that's, that's firing Adam Gates. If they do that one thing after these next two weeks or at worst at the end of the season, I think you're going to see a lot better of a product next year, especially after another off season of, of Douglas building up the team. Yeah, and look, at firing Adam Gase is not going to solve everything. It's not going to give them an edge rush. It's not going to make their linebackers learn how to cover again. It's not going to make everyone on defense start tackling. It's not going to fix every one of Sam Darnold's issues, but it's the first domino that has to fall for sure. Until that happens, this team is just – I think it's pretty clear. You look at any press conference with this team, you look at videos of practice, regardless of what the reports are, there's just not a lot of juice with this team. And, you know, they'll the say that, know you know, it's fine. Like, yeah, we're playing hard. He's okay. No, they don't like him. There's no juice with this team. And players have been saying they don't like him for years. It was the entire thing in Miami why it made no sense to hire him. So uh, it, both from a team motivation and leadership standpoint, but much more importantly from an offensive play calling standpoint, he's just not giving Sam Darnold. Uh, the best opportunity to to show what he can do, and you know, and that's for better or worse. He Darnold could get another play caller, uh, have everything open up, and we'll see that you know he might not really be able to cut it as a franchise quarterback. But if that's the case, as the Jets, you need to know that so you can move into next season and understand: Do we need to draft a quarterback? Should we keep building around him? Uh, you need to learn these things. And with the game plan that Gase had against a team that was missing. Uh, all of its or most of its best players on defense they're you're they're not going to be able to get that answer and you're also not going to be able to learn that much else about the team with all these players just not really feeling motivated to play for this guy so it's the first domino that has to fall won't fix everything but once that happens then you could kind of start evaluating the team a little bit more yeah i mean the, the big reason to fire gates is to be able to fairly evaluate darnold um and I think it'll be a few more weeks on this podcast before we have any other discussions about Darnold, but I still believe that he's, that he's the guy, um, you know, I'm still confident in him. And I think, you know, that San Francisco game is pretty much the perfect recipe for these next two games where he has flashes, where he has an amazing throw. Like he had to bury us for the touchdown, but overall, uh, you know, Adam Gase is clearly holding him back. I'm, yeah, I'm all yeah, like for- in this game, Darnold played good. Like, cause he, he executed what he was asked to do. He threw the ball really well. Uh, there were some things that he could have done better under pressure, uh, checking the ball down quicker, not locking onto the first read. And those are things he needs to get better at, independent of who the coach is. But ultimately, that was a game where you know he played good, threw the ball well, but didn't produce that much because Adam Gase was not calling the game correctly. So if you can get a couple more of those where you can feel good about Darnold but not score a lot of points so you can get this awful coach out of there, I think you could feel pretty good about that. So let's move on. Um, clearly, this is not the end of our Adam Gase discussions. I have a feeling that he won't be fired next week. Um, I do think that he's going to use the excuse that he gets Bell and Mims and Perriman back, and he'll talk Chris Johnson and, and his friend Joe Douglas into letting him stick around. I think he will get fired, but I don't think it's going to be till week 11, um, which is the bye week. I think they play a lot of good teams. New England on primetime at home. They play Arizona. They play Kansas City, Buffalo again. They have to travel west and go play the Chargers, and Herbert's looking good. So I, I think there's a good chance that they'll be sitting at that bye week with a pretty terrible record, having some pretty terrible performances. Um, and that, that that they play the Dolphins week 10, so if he loses to the team that fired him, I think that will do it. I think So I think he'll probably get the ax week 11, and then that leaves the Jets um, five games or six games or whatever um, to – yeah, six games to uh, to evaluate Darnold. I think that's the most likely option. There is a chance that he survives the whole season, but I think week 11 for me is when I see it happening, but I hope it happens sooner. Um, 
But as, as we said, I mean, we're still going to be cheering for the Jets to win on Sundays. It's, it's just this – it's hard because we're already in the situation where in the back of our minds we know, like, the best thing for this team is probably for, for Gase to get out of here. But um, alas, let's, let's look on to, to this Sunday and, and talk about some, some other things. Um, some under the radar stuff, Michael. Um, let's just start with the, the topic that hasn't really been talked about at all. I mean, I guess the, the Gase injury topic has been talked about a lot. But George Fant suffered a concussion um, this week in practice, and so Chuma Adoga should get the start at right tackle. Uh, and this is, for me, I mean, one of the most interesting things I'm going to be watching in this game. As we talked about right now, I don't want to say we're in evaluation mode because I will still be cheering for the Jets to win, but I'll be watching Chuma Adoga because, look, he was the third-round draft pick in 2018. He certainly had his struggles, but he did have some really nice games. In that game against Oakland, he was looking fairly good at right tackle before he got hurt. So if the Jets could find – and Fant has been – I think he's been fine. He's been better than a lot of people expected. He is a team captain, so I think it, it'd be – Adoga would have to play really well to, to, um, to put Fant on the bench. But certainly something to keep an eye out if Adoga has a really good game this week, and he'll probably start Thursday uh, if Fant – uh, isn't healed up for the concussion. So he should get at least two games um, to, in that starting right tackle role to see kind of where he's at. And if he impresses, it could be somebody you could, you could uh, mark down as, as a starter for the rest of this season and potentially a long-term starter. Michael, what are you looking uh, from, from Chuma Adoga on Sunday? Well, yeah, we talked about in the off season, how, you know, fan, even though he would be starting the year that Edoga kind of taking that over proving that he can be long-term starter would be a big win for the Jets just because you have a young player who you developed yourself. He has more affordable contract. Uh, and I think based on what we've seen so far, Fan has been an upgrade for sure over Brandon Shell. He's been okay, I think. In the run game, he's been pretty solid. In the pass game, he's had trouble with power, but he's done a pretty good job against speed, outside moves. But I, I think there's definitely a ceiling with Fan. I think he's definitely improved himself to the point where he is an okay starter. But if Hidoga can come in and play, you know, really well, then I think you could have a tougher decision to make in terms of, you know, whether you keep Hidoga there. And then even if you don't and you go back to Fant, you can move on from this season and have a competition next year, right tackle, and maybe go to Hidoga. So to see Hidoga play well could only be good for the Jets, especially if you want to see Sam Darnold play well. Having Hidoga give some good protection on that right side would be instrumental to that because – you know, when Darnold was struggling early last season, a big part of that was Idoga not playing well at all on the on both sides, left and right. So uh, if he Idoga playing well would be big for the Jets, even if Fant comes back into the starting lineup after. And again, I think Fant has done a good job so far, but Idoga playing well uh, would be big for them. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer with, with Fant because of that contract. I mean, that's a starter contract. So he's if he comes back next year, it's got to be because he's played really well this season, which – I, you know, I, I still think he can. I think, like you said, there's probably more of a ceiling on him. I think this is clearly the best season through two games that, that George Fan has had in the NFL. But he is a little bit older. He's making $10 million a year for three years. Um, so unless he really impresses and it's like, okay, well, this guy is going to be our starter for the next year or two, he's probably not getting brought back. But it's kind of a bummer because I think he's a really good swing backup tackle. Clearly he's a good presence in the locker room as he was voted a captain. Um and like you said, he's proven that he can be a solid starter. Um, so it's kind of a bummer that the Jets don't have him on a cheaper contract because then they could bring him back and then potentially draft another tackle or Adoga comes up and, and Fan could still be in the locker room, still provide that depth. Um, but alas, like you said, I, I think Adoga um, uh, clearly struggled at times last year, but I did think it got better as the season went on. Um, he will have uh, Justin Houston on Sunday. I think that's a matchup to watch. Houston is – uh, an NFL vet yeah. and somebody who, and like you said, I think he really his first few games he really struggled, but the last few games he played, especially that one against the Raiders where he got hurt, he looked pretty good. He was definitely improving a little bit, and it was a hard start for him. He's a third round pick, had to switch between both sides. Guys were getting injured, so uh, but he did show some progress. And and like you said, Justin Houston is going to be a tough challenge. He'll probably mostly go against Becton. I think he's rushed off the right side. Uh, so against the left tackle on 79% of his rushes this season. So mostly Becton, uh, which will be another challenge for him. We thought we were going to get to see him go against Bosa. Didn't get a whole game of that, but he did look good in the, when Bosa was out there, Becton was good against him. So Becton against Houston 
will be something to watch. And then Edoga on the other side, uh, he'll probably see a little bit of Houston, a little bit of Danico Autry. So a, f- a few different guys. The Colts have some decent players on their front. But uh, if Edoga can play well, it would be nice for the Jets just to yeah. have another option. Yeah, and DeForest Buckner is another guy to watch on on that that line. He's going to face the Jets' interior, as you've mentioned in your Twitter. Greg Van Roten has been the worst of the Jets' offensive linemen. It seems like Connor McGovern's going to be out of the hamstring, so it should be Josh Andrews starting. So the Jets are going to be down two starters. So I would imagine DeForest Buckner to really be attacking Josh Andrews, attack his, his typical matchup in Greg Van Roten. And he's, he's an athletic defensive lineman. They're going to use him in stunts and probably bring him towards Chuma Adoga and try to, to exploit him as well. So – Obviously, the big key for this game is going to be keeping Sam Darnold upright. Uh, Makai Becton, as you said, has been the best player on either side of the ball. We're going to need another good performance from him. Um, but uh, the other four guys, um, specifically Andrews, Van Roten, and Adoga, have their task in front of them. It's got to be to keep Sam Darnold upright and open up those rush lanes. Um, speaking of rush lanes, another guy that I think we're going to be watching this Sunday is going to be Lamichael Pirine, who, who I expect to have a much bigger role this Sunday. He's a full participant. He played a little bit last uh, last week, but he was just working his way back from an ankle injury. He impressed in training camp, um, and, and Gase has kind of hinted at the fact that Gore is going to get a little bit uh, fewer carries just to not you know grind out his knees in, in the first half. So expect to see a, a good dose of Michael Pirine. Michael, what are your thoughts on Pirine? I mean, what is the best case scenario for him? And we, we, I know you talked about we were looking at, at rookie running backs <laughs> or to draft next year. Uh, I think Pirine's a guy that, again, another player who can establish himself as a part of the core going forward, especially if he can have a nice um, game here and, and against Denver, then Le'Veon Bell comes back. But if he can continue to, to prove himself um, as, a, as a key member of this team and getting positive yards, I wouldn't be surprised if Bell gets moved to the trade deadline. At the very least, I don't expect Bell to be back next year. So Piran is pretty much the only running back on this team that, that should be back next year. Um, so obviously a huge opportunity for him to establish himself as a rookie. Yeah, I agree. I definitely think that um, I think going to Piran for a pretty good load of the, the running back snaps in this game is something they should do. Uh, while Le'Veon Bell's out, take this opportunity to get to look at P. Ryan. Uh, and, and and I honestly just don't think Frank Gore is very good anymore. I know he had – he did have a few good runs, but overall I think this line is blocking – is blocking pretty well, and there's, he's leaving some yards out there. He's averaging only 3.2 yards a carry this season, which is the same as what Bell had last season behind a much worse line. Uh, and according to NFL Next Gen Stats has this pretty cool stat where they compare yards per rush attempt versus the versus what they should be expected to get based on the amount of space that's available, just the positioning of everyone on the field. Uh, and in that stat, Gore is in the bottom 10 out of 40 qualified running backs. So he, I don't think he's been too good. You know, he hits the hole pretty hard but I think there's been room for him to do more than that if he could just make one more cut burst up field pick up some more yards but he's just been going straight downhill Uh, and obviously the run game has been effective on first down the Jets are second in the league in uh, the percentage of their runs on first down that have gone for five plus yards of 54 percent so you know he's taking advantage in that way but I think there is potential for this run game to be doing a lot more so Hopefully they can give P. Ryan some opportunities. I don't know if I expect them to give him every snap and just take Gore out of the lineup, although I would prefer to do that, but this is Adam Gase we're talking about. Um, so I think that, you know, getting him some touches, seeing what he can do without Bell, uh, and then also see if he can give you some more explosiveness than what Frank Gore has been offering, uh, something they should do, just, you know, not just an evaluation standpoint, from an evaluation standpoint, but I think P. Ryan can make this offense better. And, Another key thing is that he pass protects pretty well. He did good in the 49ers game. So that's something you're not – I don't think you're losing going from Gore to Pirine, which is rare for a young running back. But I think Pirine does bring that to the table, which is a good skill to have uh, for him to start off quickly in his career and also become uh, an every down back going forward. So I think he should get his touches. And it'll be interesting to see what he does. I think this run game – has the potential to be a really good one. Uh, and they are missing Connor McGovern, who I think, and George Fant. So two big pieces. I think those guys, after Becton, have probably been two and three in terms of the run blocking impact. Alex Lewis has done some nice things. Uh, so they are going to have two big losses. But still, I think 
um, P. Ryan getting him some touches, not just this game, hopefully the next game as well against Denver. You can get McGovern back and Fant uh, and, and get – because I think this – what they've had so far, I think that the way they've blocked is top 10 run game potential. Not the best in the league, but I think above average, 10 to 16 range. Uh, but with Frank Gore, the numbers have looked a little bit worse than that. Although on first down, they have been pretty good. And Adam Gase has been running at the wrong times uh, much of the time against unfavorable – in unfavorable situations. So especially when he's been going run, run on first, second down, it's just too predictable and easy to stop. So part of it's on him. But uh, I do like this offensive line in the run game, even though they'll be missing some uh, a couple of key guys this week. Uh, so hopefully P. Ryan can get some touches right. show us what he's got. I think it's a tough matchup for the Jets for sure. Indianapolis is the number one defense in yards allowed. Uh, they're fifth in rushing yards allowed, and especially with, with two offensive linemen out. I think it's a tough matchup for Pirine. I think last week they definitely – the offensive line did a really good job of, of opening up holes for, for Gore. Um, Gore definitely missed a few holes when you look back at the, that all 22. He missed a few that were just like wide open. Um, but he's clearly a veteran, and he always got positive yards. And he, Gore did do a good job of setting up the Jets in second and third manageable. Um, but if the Jets want to have success running the ball, they just got to run it, as Brian Baldinger likes to say, run it behind Highway 77. Um, but looking at the rest of the Jets' offense, they're going to be missing three receivers. So they're down, they're starting running back, they're starting center, they're starting right tackle, and three receivers. So expect to see a lot more of Josh Malone, a lot more, hopefully, Lawrence Cager. Um, Michael, how do you feel like this, this receiving unit matches up against, uh, Indianapolis's secondary? Um, and you know, how much does all these injuries hurt Sam Darnold? Uh, obviously Adam Gase is going to use it as an excuse for himself, but Sam Darnold really being put in a position to, to fail on Sunday. Yeah, this isn't a horrendous matchup with all those injuries. You have no McGovern against DeForest Buckner, one of the best interior rushers in the league. You've no George Fant uh, and Justin Houston. Again, Houston mostly goes on the right side, so Becton could dominate him because he's the best player I've ever seen. But uh, still, you have you're missing two offensive linemen. You've pretty much all of your starting receivers out, or at least the ones you plan to have at the beginning Top of the four, season. Actually. Yeah, and so yeah, yeah, Vincent Smith, Perriman, Crowder, uh, and Denzel Mims. So you're down four receivers, two starting linemen against a team that's allowing the fewest yards per pass play in the league on the road. Uh, obviously, there aren't as many fans, but this is one of the few teams in the league that do have them. So I guess small impact. And, and actually, home teams so far have won 59% of the games. So home field advantage still seems to be a thing, even without well, the fans. Well, I mean, a lot of it's travel. It's not just about the fans. A lot yeah, of it is travel. So I mean, New York to Indiana still matter. Yeah, it's not um, a crazy trip to Indiana, but it's still – you still have to travel. It isn't a away game. But, yeah, you have all these injuries. Uh, you couldn't score. And San Francisco and Buffalo have really good defenses, but San Francisco is missing a lot of people. Buffalo went out and gave up 28 points to the Dolphins. Uh, San Francisco was not good against Arizona week one when they did have all their players, and they, the Jets couldn't do anything against them. Now they're going on the road against a team that has been pretty locked down on defense so far. Uh, they are number one in yards. They're only 11th in scoring per drive, but the pass defense has been really good. Fewest yards per play against the pass, only 4.6. So all those injuries against that, it's going to be rough for Sam Darnold, but he's just got to do handle his role. You know, the separation might not be there. There could be a lot of, you know, a lot of pressure coming up the middle, especially, but, you know, get rid of the ball. Don't make dumb mistakes. Uh, and, and, you know, when the pressure does come, try to hang tight and deliver the best throw you can, even if you have to take a hit. So uh, it's going to be very hard for him to produce or even put up 10 points in this game, although they'll probably get their garbage time touchdown to make Gase look good. But uh, in terms of actually producing enough to win the game, it's going to be really hard. But there's all you can always evaluate players independent of that. So like this last game, for example, Darnold put up, he had less yards per attempt against the Niners than he did against the Bills, even though he's clearly substantially better. So the, the, the stats don't always tell you everything about how well they play. So Darnold's probably going to put up bad numbers in this game, but you just got to look at what he's doing, make sure he's making the right decisions, taking good care of the ball and handling the pressure pretty well, dumping the ball off when it needs to be dumped off. So uh, he's not going to put up numbers in this game. I don't think it's very unlikely, but just got to look at what he's doing independent of the stuff around it. 
Yeah, I mean, this this has disaster written all over it. And, of course, now that we've had all this negative, how the Jets need to fire Adam Gase and lose these next two games, of course, now the Jets are going to yeah, go out and win. Yeah, 26-21. Of course, the Jets are going to go out and win these next two games and be at 2-2, two and two and we'll be right back. Um, that, we'll be the, like, yeah. hold on a second. There's a Here path to this wild card. I think we were, <laughs> we were a little quick to get on Gase. There are I mean, all look, those injuries. They're all it's, injuries. Early, it's early in the season, and, you know, it feels a little – I don't want to say hypocritical, but a little um, – uh, dramatic to be the way we feel right now. But if you just take the last season uh, and two games into context with Adam Gase, and then when you look at him in Miami, it's just very clear that he's not a winning head coach. He's not going to lead the Jets to a Super Bowl. I don't, I don't think there's a single Jets fan that thinks Adam Gase is the guy to lead the Jets to a Super Bowl. So I think that's the reason we've just become so fervent. It's just there was a chance that maybe the second year in the offense could change things. But so far that hasn't happened. And as you said, an absolute nightmare matchup. Um, for this Jets offense. But the one member of this Jets offense that was supposed to have a massive season, we know Gase loves him. He's called him a unicorn, and it could be one of the bigger indictments of Gase last week was Chris Herndon in his limited role. Some of it falls on Herndon. He did drop a touchdown that, that Sam Darnold threw a, an absolute strike on. Um, but, Michael, I mean, what are you looking for Chris Herndon in this game? I mean, as you just said, we're going to be missing our top four receivers. This is clearly a very good pass defense. Um, but Herndon does have an opportunity – um, to to be the, the you know get the lion's share of touches um, or, or targets I guess I should say from from Sam Darnold. What are you looking to see from Chris Herndon this Sunday? What are you expecting, and and how can Adam Gase uh, utilize him better than he did last Sunday? Well, I think one key thing is he's got to be used down the field more. Uh, like Robbie Sabo brought up this one point. There there are looks the Jets are getting that they're running against when they could you know easily be putting someone on the outside and taking a shot. Again, they're depleted at receiver, but Chris Herndon is a borderline receiver talent in terms of his build and the things he can do. And you can put him on the outside and the safety will follow him out there. And that's a matchup you can win. And they did take one shot near the end of the Niners game and they got a pass interference for it. But overall, Herndon, his average depth of target this season, only 5.7 yards. That's 23rd out of 35 tight ends. In 2018, it was almost double that, 10.6 yards. That was fifth highest at tight end. So he was making a lot of plays down the field in 2018. This year, he's been a check down option, and that's not what he is. He is a talented route runner. He can do things down the field, uh, and, and we know what he can do as a contested catch guy. And look, he's got to do better when the ball comes his way. He had a fumble against the Bills and obviously dropped a really good throw from Darnold uh, in the game against the Niners. But he did get himself open on that throw. It was a look at that Im- improvisational connection they had in 2018. Herndon did a really good job of adjusting his route to get open on that play, even though he didn't catch it. So we need to see more of that, uh, getting Darnold on the move, trying to get these guys, you know, call some play action rollouts. And I know I'm saying this stuff, Gase isn't going to do any of it. But <laughs> once Jim, Jim Bob Cooter takes over, it's some advice for him. But you know, I, I think just getting him down the field more is key. Let him put him on the outside and see if he can win on a nine route. Give him some deep overs. Uh, let him run a post route. He was pretty good with post routes. I think a couple of those in uh, twenty in twenty eighteen deep corner routes. That's something he scored a couple touchdowns on. Haven't seen any of that this year. So get him down the field. He can make some right. plays. But I will say that Darnold did miss him a couple times in the Niners game. Uh, there was one slant that Herndon won. He's wide open. Darnold misfired under pressure. There was a check down where Darnold was late to get it to him. Could have got some few, uh, a few more yards. So Darnold has missed him a little bit underneath, but he should be down the field, especially right. with how, uh, how lacking they are at receiver. Yeah, it seems, and it just goes back to what we've just been talking about, how Gase is too tied to his game plan. And it seems like at a certain point, it's like, yeah, okay, if you're looking at last week, and it applies to this Sunday as well. You're down all these receivers. You're down these offensive linemen. You're playing the best passing defense. And I understand Adam Gase's game plan is probably going to be very similar to his game plan against San Francisco. And honestly, which is a very similar game plan against Buffalo, three similar game plans, different situations. But I imagine it's going to be running the football and throwing underneath. If you listen to our preview podcast to Buffalo and San Francisco, you can hear why it was a similar game plan. I imagine it's going to be the same thing. But like you said, at a certain point, 
it makes sense that you know that you're not the better team, that to, to win, you got to control the clock and win ugly. But at a certain point, when you get down 14 nothing, when you get down 21-3, you just got to start airing it out. I mean, you just got to let Sam Darnold lose. He might not have all the talent, but you saw part of those, those Jeremy Bates last four, four weeks of 2018. Part of the reason Darnold looks so much better is because they just opened up the playbook. I mean, despite having Andre Roberts and Sharon Peake at receiver and starting Brandon Shell and, and – Jonathan Harrison and whoever else, Dakota Dozier on that offensive line, they recognize, hey, we're not as good of a team as, as Houston or as Green Bay or as New England or Buffalo or whatever, but they just started airing out the ball and we saw good results because Darnold is a gunslinger. So at a certain point, you have to say, okay, look, we might not win this game, but we're going to at least move the ball. I mean, let, let our gunslinger loose. Let's evaluate him as a quarterback. And I think I expect Gase, especially in that first half, to come out running the ball, throwing it underneath, trying to just move the ball against Indianapolis. But Indianapolis has done such a good job at, at limiting yards by the offense. I think it just it has a nightmare game written all over it for the Jets to not be able to move the ball. So, yeah, like you said, I mean, I think they just need to, to let Darnold loose, throw it to Herndon downfield, give Lawrence Cager a shot. Um, just got to be creative. I mean, that's what the best head coaches do. I mean, Adam Gase kind of already makes these excuses for himself, and they're understandable. I mean, look, he has had terrible injury luck. I mean, it can't be luck if it falls them around everywhere. But, I mean, look, injuries are pretty random, and they've hit everybody this season. But at a certain point, you just have to say, fuck it. I mean, just throw the ball downfield. I mean, let or your gunslinger loose. I mean, you're turning him into to Ryan Tannehill in Miami, I guess, Miami version of Ryan Tannehill. Who, I mean, I, I forget what his yards per attempt was before that last drive, but it was awful. I mean, he, he only had like 80 yards or 50 yards or something in the first half. I mean, he really just needs to let him loose and just to let him throw downfield. And you saw the Jets have had two great drives, um, albeit garbage time touchdowns against Buffalo and against San Francisco, but those were both two minutes left in the game. We're not winning this. And they just started throwing the ball down the field and they moved the ball. And look, the defense is in, is, you know, is playing a little bit off coverage. They're not, it's not the same. I understand that, but you saw the results when you just let Donald throw it downfield. And I understand that it, that goes against probably the smart game plan. That's not what they're going to do in the first quarter, but as the game goes on, if things aren't working or if Indianapolis adjusts to your game plan, they got to let Sam Donald loose. Uh, when we look at this defense, then we'll, we'll do a few more things and get out of here. Um, just quickly on the defense, because this is a better matchup for, for the Jets. I mean, Indianapolis um, has been moving the ball offensively. They're averaging nearly 400 yards of total offense. They're ranked 11th. And in scoring, they're only 18th. Um, but this defense under Greg Williams has certainly struggled more than they have last year. Michael, what are you looking for? Obviously, Avery Williamson not playing over Alec Ogletree is certainly um, – one of the biggest mysteries of Sunday. Hopefully Avery Williamson gets more run. It could be because he was coming back from injury. It's the Pierre to see a revenge game, I guess. See if Quinn and Williams can, can follow up from Sunday. Just kind of what are the things that you were watching um, for on Sunday against 82 year old Phillip Rivers? Well, I think the biggest thing is, as you said, the, the biggest takeaways from that first game were you had three franchise players play well, Dar or the 49ers game, Darnold, Becton and Quinn and Williams. So, Quinn Williams playing well is pretty big. And I think the most important thing for us as we observe him is to not focus only on sacks because he's not going to get two sacks every game. Um, so even if he doesn't get any sacks, if he's creating pressure, uh, living in the backfield and making plays against the run, that's what's most important. Sacks will come sometimes. And if he's playing well, he should get his share over the course of the season, but they're not going to come every single game. And this is a good challenge for him. Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly inside, Glowinski at right guard. They have a really good offensive line from left to right. The Colts do probably the best in the league. So going to be a really good challenge for Quentin. He played well against 49ers, especially against their left guard, uh, Tomlinson. So uh, now he's going up against the best left guard in the league. So good challenge for him. Uh, and again, just make sure you focus on more than just what he does with sacks because uh, like, just look at the sacks that he got. Say that Garoppolo, Mullins throw the ball away, but Quinnen does the exact same thing to get there. Are we talking about him the same way right now? Probably not, because we forget about those plays. But even though he would be doing the same thing. So it's more important to just look at the pressure he's creating, whether he's getting into the backfield. Uh, if he gets sacks, great, but uh, just about consistent pressure. So good challenge for him against uh, a very good Colts offensive line. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think this is a better matchup, obviously, than the Jets' offense. If this, if the Jets have any chance of winning this game, uh, it's got to be their defense has got to 
certainly play much better than they have against Buffalo and, and San Francisco, especially in the first half. Um, because I really felt like in the first half against San Francisco, that's what's lo- that's what lost the Jets that game. I mean, that terrible roughing the passer penalty, not being able to slow down Jordan Reed, obviously the massive runs. Uh, and like you said, Indianapolis has a great offensive line. Jonathan Taylor has been playing really well as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if this game is going to be close, it's the defense has got to play a lot more like the 2019 version of Greg Williams's unit instead of the 2020 unit, because unless Sam Darnold and Adam Gase just go off, I mean, this offense is going to struggle to move the ball. They may be able to, and hopefully, and should be able to get some touchdown drives. But for the most part, you might be seeing a lot of three and outs, the Jets struggling to move the football. So it's got to be in that defense uh, to keep them in this game. We'll start with the easy one. Michael, um, because it's the most obvious version. But how do the Colts win this game? Take us through it. Well, I mean, I think from a Colts perspective, is just not messing up, you know, not making special oh, teams okay. mistakes, turning the ball over. Um, uh, the Colts are substantially better than this Jets team, especially as banged up as they are. So it's, it's, it's tough to imagine the Colts losing in any way other than making major game-changing mistakes on special teams uh, defensive touchdowns, things like that. So I, the Jets are really overmatched in this game. So they're probably going to win. It's probably going to be 26-21 because we're talking about it as such an obvious loss. But uh, but look, the, they're, I think, 11-point favorites, and they deserve to be. Uh, the Jets are really overmatched in this game. It's, it, it's tough to imagine them winning. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, I think as we've been talking about all episode, best-case scenario is, is – an ugly loss where a few good Jets players play well. Um, but how do the Jets steal the upset? I mean, look, I'll be happy to see the Jets win on Sunday. I understand there are other consequences that might go against it. But, look, they are 0-2. It's early in the season. You know, watching Jets football on Sundays in the fall is, is one of the, the better joys, despite how bad they've been, um, you know, in my life. So I'll cheer for them to win. Um, how could the Jets steal the upset against this Indianapolis Colts team who – a lot better than the Jets, but they did blow a week one game against Jacksonville. Obviously, Jacksonville's a lot better than, than people thought they'd be. Um, but, you know, especially coming into that week one game, people thought Jacksonville was tanking for Trevor, and all of a sudden um, they, they did steal that game against Indianapolis. So how could the Jets steal the upset against uh, Jacksonville? Or well, the Colts' biggest weakness, uh, the Colts' biggest weaknesses looking at their numbers has been their clutch offense. Their 31st and third down conversions, 28th in the red zone. So if the Jets' defense can pick up some big stops in those situations, uh, get some quick three and outs, that's another thing this defense hasn't done, give field position to the offense. The Bills game, I think their best field position was their own 28-yard line. Uh, They did, I think, at one start in 49ers territory once in that game, but they're not getting field position. They're giving up eight-minute drives, six-minute drives, not helping out the offense at all. But against the Colts team that is struggling, to convert third downs and in the red zone. If you could hold them field goals in the red zone, you could force a quick three and out to start the game uh, and get the momentum on your side. It's uh, that could help them tremendously because both these games jets have gone down quickly, given up a touchdown, start in their own 25 pun other team drives into their territory, start inside their own 10 and they never really get outside of that cycle. So if the jets can early on force a three and out and get ahead in the field position game, uh, and then throughout the game, if they can hold the Colts in the red zone, force field goals, uh, they could definitely have a chance. So that's been the biggest weakness for the Colts. And the defense, the Jets' defense has to do a much better job of helping out the offensive field position. And it's not just turnovers, but it's also just getting quicker stops, not allowing these five, six, seven, even the 49ers almost had a nine minute drive against them. So uh, quick stops are going to be key. And this is a Colts team that struggled to get. Uh, to come up big in the spots where it really matters. They are an explosive offense, obviously, with Philip Rivers, T.Y. Hilton, Jonathan Taylor, as you said, uh, and an offensive line that gives them plenty of time and space to operate. But conversion so far, that's been their weakness, so the Jets' defense has to exploit that. Yeah, I mean, this is a Colts team that did lose Paris Campbell and Emily Cooker. They're both on IR now. But as you said, I mean, I think this is uh, this should be a loss for the Jets. I mean, unless – Unless Gase gets really desperate and really tries to change his ways or Darnold has an amazing game, I just think this is just such a mismatch, especially with all the injuries on the Jets' side of the ball. Um, so, Michael, what is your prediction uh, for this Sunday? Let's hear your score prediction, your value to 26-21 to prediction. I'm going to go Jets 26. No, I'm just kidding. 
Um, I think that's the fifth uh, time we've made that joke. <laughs> it's a hilarious joke. It has a ton of basis. It makes a lot of sense. Um, if my prediction, I'm going to go, I don't think the Jets are going to get, I feel like they're going to have a, a weird game where they kind of stick around, but it doesn't make sense. I'm going to go with 27 to 27 to six Colts, 27 Jets, six. That doesn't sound like a game where the Jets stuck around. No, but but look, okay. I think it'll be like 13 to three at okay. halftime. It'll be like, Oh, they're kind of in this. And then okay. the Colts just get two quick touchdown right. drives in the third quarter. I see it. Okay. Yeah. I'll go. Yeah. I think the Colts win this one fairly easily. I'll go 27, 10. Um, I agree with you. I think the Jets are going to be down two possessions for the majority of this game. So they're kind of in it, but they're not really. I think that'll be it. I don't think they're going to be down 21-3 at half. I think the Jets may get an opening drive touchdown, but I think they might struggle outside of that, um, just displaying more of Adam Gase's flaws. Um, But that'll do it for us. Um, Tweet us your score predictions. Comment below in the YouTube video. Just let us know what you think. Um, especially, you know, this was more of an Adam Gase, fire Adam Gase uh, protest than I guess, um, I guess. Well, I guess the one that, that actually happened Same amount of people yeah. at this one. That's the <laughs> real There's the same amount of people at this fire Adam Gase protest. But, um, but it's probably more of a fire Adam Gase protest than this was a game preview. We did get into a little bit, but let us know in the comments. Clearly, every single video we post now is a lot of fire Adam Gase, so just keep it up. Um, as I said, that'll do it for us. You can follow us at CYJPod on Twitter. You can follow Michael at Michael underscore Nanny. You can follow myself at Ben W. Blessington. Find us iTunes, Spotify, JetsXFactor.com, the best place to go for Jets content. Michael, Joe Blewett, Robbie Sabo, myself, Sam Krinick, all have great stuff coming out this week. So keep an eye out for that. And as I said at the beginning of the podcast, hopefully one week from today, assuming you're listening to this Friday morning, the Jets will be relieving Adam Gase of their duty after uh, – of his duty, excuse me, after an 0-4 start. Um, that's the hope, I guess. I think that's the best case scenario for the Jets. And then we can cheer for Jets wins again. That's kind of the way I feel. But after all this negativity, watch the Jets go out and win on Sunday. So that'll do it for us, everybody. Stay safe, stay healthy, and don't let the Jets ruin your life. Ronald takes the snap, looks left under pressure. Bullets one over the middle. And he's got Crowder. Up at 10. Cuts it back at the 5. Goal line. Sam Darnold did it again. Jones has a take away. Bradley McDougal. Yes.